My guest on this week's episode of Says and Search is Amy Bishop, founder of Cultivate Marketing. Amy is an in-demand speaker, a must-read blogger, and a frequent guest on webinars and podcasts. She's an expert in paid search, paid social, and marketing strategy. She has presented at many of the biggest digital marketing events, including PubCon, State of Search, HeroConf, and SMX. After you finish watching this episode, check out Amy's excellent column over at Search Engine Journal. Her writing is really extraordinary. She's become one of my favorite bloggers focused on PPC. I met Amy at PubCon Florida this summer and heard her present there. This has been a particularly volatile time for PPC marketers. Within the last 12 months, there have been a series of major changes to Google, Facebook, and many of the other advertising channels. Amy's advice, diversify your channels so that you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Why should you look to expand into other channels even if you're having success? Why is it important to have a clearly defined customer persona? How do you measure the success of a multi-channel advertising campaign? I'll get the answers to these questions and many others. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Amy Bishop. We'll talk all about the dramatic changes to PBC this year. We'll talk about developing a cross-channel advertising campaign for every stage of the funnel. And I'll find out how Amy uses the audience report and analytics to measure her multi-channel campaigns. Amy Bishop, welcome to Susan Search. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. I, it's an exciting time at PPC. I feel like it's like hard to know where to start. I will start with an idea I've been stealing from Steve Hammer. He said something like this. It's, like, it's very odd to teach PPC these days and feel the need to explain the way it was to, the way, to explain the way it is. Uh, that happened again recently, I think, with the announcement that expanded text ads are going away. Seems like a big part of being a paid media professional these days is just staying on top of this stuff, like just knowing what's coming and these big shifts and sort of uh, shifting your sales as they come up. It's kind of like the thing you need to spend more time on than ever. First, I guess, do you agree with that idea? And second, how do you stay on top of these big changes? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I have said so many times that I'm glad that I started doing PPC when I did. Because 10 years ago, everything was so much simpler. Like everything that I learned (laughs) were literally the building blocks that got us to where we are now. And so I also completely agree with Steve that sometimes to explain the way things are now, you have to go all the way back and explain the way they used to be and how they've zigged and zagged to where we are now. Um, And as far as staying on top of things, I mean, that is um, almost as important in your role as anything else that you will do as far as optimizations and the account, things mm. like that, just because things change so frequently and so quickly and every little change has a really big impact on us. So I um, actually have the good fortune of having um, a role with search engine journal where it is fully my role to report on news and things like that. So um, I am fortunate in that I stay in the loop because um it was something that I was already doing. And so when the opportunity came about to actually write about it and document it, it just seemed like a no brainer. But as part of a benefit to that, um, I just always have kind of an extra eye out for news and things like that as well. And I find that sometimes writing about it also just helps you to digest it a little bit more. That might just be me. Um, But as I read through things, if I write about it, it helps me to kind of process it in my own way and think about how I'm going to apply it. So if you like to write or if you have ever considered blogging, I highly recommend it as a way to kind of help just 
make sure that you're really internalizing what's happening and how you'll use that. Fascinating. And I, I, I mean, I, I think I started around the same time as you, so I can remember there's a reason they're called expanded text ads and not just text ads because there's this thing text ads before expanded text ads, which exactly. are now going away entirely for RSA. So it's like, this is a very confusing world to be living in. Uh, I guess given that volatility, it seems like a good place to start would be, I don't know, maybe not putting all your eggs in one basket that like when something like iOS 14.5 happens to Facebook, that could really shake up your, your whole digital marketing strategy. Maybe it's a good idea to have a multi-channel approach, which is exactly what I heard you talk about at PubCon. So we met at PubCon, uh, I don't know, is that a month ago now? And yeah, I guess I'm it was. curious, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can help. Uh, I, I said that point, but maybe it's, it's worth exploring a little bit. Let's say I'm having great results right now with one specific channel. Should I still be looking at expanding into other channels? Should I be still looking to have a multi-channel approach? What do you think? Yeah, I highly recommend um, being in multiple channels and bonus points if they aren't multiple channels that tend to mirror each other, because in those cases, right. usually when something rolls out in one, it rolls out um, to little brother slightly later. So it just helps you, I think, to be a little bit more stable um, if you needed to flex or move budget or do things differently. Um, it just gives you that kind of sure footing to do so. And it goes both ways, right? So for instance, when some of the iOS 14 changes rolled out, that rocked advertisers pretty hard. But the year before, so in 2020, a lot of people were slowing down on advertising. Facebook advertising was super, super cheap. And so was YouTube because there were um, less people advertising and there were more people on those channels. So the advertisers that were already in those spaces that had the ability to expand their budgets and push harder just had amazing results because the sky was the limit. They already knew what would likely work for them. It was working better than ever, and they could just push the limit even harder. For advertisers that were interested in getting started then, um, it was still a great time to test, but they didn't know what would work for them. So they still had to go through that testing phase. Whereas if you're already there and you already know what works and the opportunity presents itself to expand, then you have that like right in front of you and it's just easy pickings. Um, so it goes both ways. Like one channel could rock your world. And in that case, you want to be able to move into other channels quickly or expand into other channels quickly. Um, better yet, if you're already there and you just need to kind of like grow your budgets or shift allocations and things like that. But it also could happen where something is going amazingly well and you want to expand into a specific channel because there's low hanging fruit there. And the advertisers that are already there are going to have the best, quickest results and the most to gain um, versus folks that have to kind of do their testing phase in that time frame, too. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. These like these phases you have to go through to learn and to get data is a big difference, too, since I started. So, well, let's talk about how to do this. Uh, the first step for you from your presentation is to know and find your target audience. We're talking about personas. Uh, you say that in an ideal world, every client would have a personas that were written down and documented and really good. You know, at the risk of asking an overly obvious question, why is audience targeting such an important first step? Why not just let's start running some ads, get some data and adjust and tweak from there? Yeah. Um, knowing your audience, I think of that as being kind of a 
a two for one. So one is knowing your audience because you want to understand what they care about and make sure that you're messaging to them accurately and all that good stuff. But the second part is knowing your audience also helps you understand where your audience will be. So what types of interests should we be using to target them? What types of demographics should we be using to target them? Placements, what what social channels did they use? Um, especially on the B2B side, what types of affiliations are they involved with? Sometimes you can find LinkedIn groups about those affiliations, things like that. So knowing your audience is really the very most like basic first step that you can take. And it sounds so obvious because everybody's like, oh, I know my audience. It's 30-year-old females. Right. And then you're like, well, that's not very much information to go off of, really. Um, one, are you right. sure that it's only them? That's it. Uh, but two, why is it them? And what is it about that particular audience that really makes them a good fit for you? Because naturally, some of the people in that very specific demographic are going to be a good fit, but a lot of them aren't. So focusing in on what makes them a good fit and also what exclusions that you would want to make, make sure that you're going to spend your money as effectively as possible, but also that your messaging is going to resonate because getting in front of them isn't the only challenge. You not only have to get in front of them, you also have to interest them enough to convert them. All right. Well, I'm, I'm convinced. I think this is cool. I'm with you on personas and getting better audience targeting. And I think that is the logical place to start. How do we actually do that? What, you know, what tools are needed to get this done? Uh, you mentioned that often it, there's not enough in-depth information about the personas. How in-depth does the information need to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the more data that they have, the better. And what I typically recommend is sit down with multiple people on the team, especially people that are client facing. So if there are people, for instance, in sales and client onboarding, client success, even customer support, understanding the types of questions people are typically asking, the pushback that they're normally giving, um, the things that they're most interested in, their goals, anything like that that you can understand are going to help you to understand what they care about and what that messaging should look like. Those folks probably also anecdotally have some understanding of who is the best fit. If you're on the B2B side, what job titles do they tend to be? How big is the company size? Things like that. Um, if it's on the B2C side, there may be more specific okay. characteristics that make somebody a good fit. If you don't have that, or if you go through that exercise and you still feel like there's not enough information to go on, or even if you go through that exercise, but you just want to supplement that, there's a ton of great resources online that you can use. So the Google Ads um, Audience Insights are great for allowing you to to kind of dig into what your top converting audiences um which third-party audiences that they tend to fall in. And you can even upload audiences and look at that audience composition. You can do similar things in Google Analytics. And the really nice thing about Google Analytics is it's not only relegated to just Google Ads visitors. You can look at all of your site traffic. And then I also really love Facebook Audience Insights. So even if you're not advertising, as long as you have it set up, um, you can see kind of how people fall into different buckets. So like, what level of education do they have? Are they uh, typically single or married? Um, different things like that. You can get some um, some uh, job role information as well. You can see what they're interested in. And you can kind of start to dig in a little bit deeper. So one of my clients actually had, um, what we did was we looked at their top purchaser segments to see who was driving purchaser data. And it did happen to be in that 30 to 35 year old female range. 
And so we specifically zeroed in on 30 to 35 year old females um, within Facebook. And then what we did is we looked at interests and what we found were there were interests all across the board. So there was Deb Shops, which is a discount women's clothing. It's typically, you know, you're looking at buying jeans and tops, maybe a whole outfit for like 10 to $20. And then there was also Balmain, which is, I have no idea what prices even start there, like more than my mortgage. Um, so you're, you get this sense that you're probably not looking at like one person that is shopping at both of those stores. Right. So if you filter for one of those interests, then you can kind of start to build the profile there. And what we found was that the demographics changed a lot, like job roles, things like that change. And then we took that filter off and we filtered for an interest in Balmain and we had a completely separate profile. So it was really interesting because then that would tell you that there's kind of different targeting clusters that you could go after and then potentially different yeah. interests. So one of them had a lot of like kids brands and things like that, that they were interested in and the other one didn't, things like that. So it's really interesting. There's a wealth of information if you just kind of start digging around into it. I love this. I love that, that idea of clustering. Um, okay. So let me, let me stay on, on track with this, this idea here. So we've, if we have our personas meticulously crafted, we're not done. We haven't made any money yet for our client. We haven't really even run any ads yet. What's the next step in this, you know, multi-channel process from, from your point of view? Yeah. So the next step for me is understanding where those folks most likely are going to be hanging out. Um, if there's search volume or not for your types of products and services or market category. So if you are establishing an entirely new market category, there's probably not much search volume um, that exists at that point. I would probably um, look to more of like social channels and brand awareness um, to start with in that case. But assuming that there is search volume for your market um, on your product, I would set up your search campaigns to start with. And then secondly, after that, I would start looking at some of the, hate to even call them higher funnel channels. We often call them higher funnel channels, but really with social or YouTube or anything, you can go to any level in the funnel, depending on how you target and what your, um, what your aim is for them to do. So what I like to look at is, based upon what we know on our audience, dig into what does that path typically look like for them as they gather information um, and as they're moving through the funnel to try to understand what what can we provide them to support them on that path to purchase. So if we know that they've already taken this certain action, they've um, researched by downloading this ebook over here, we know that they're probably relatively high funnel in their search, then we can start moving them to the next action that we want them to take, which should support what we know about what they're interested in. And this is where those discussions with internal team members come into play because they probably have a better sense of yeah. what those questions are um, and as they move kind of through the funnel, especially on the sales side of things. So depending on if you have a really long or a really short sales cycle, you can kind of plan out what that should look like with different stages of content and um, materials like that. And then based upon that, look at your Google Analytics, look at how people seem to be moving through the site. And then I really like the Google Analytics audiences report because you can build audiences in Google Analytics and then you can put them in the audiences report to be able to see after they've joined this particular audience, then what happens? So what other actions do they take? So you can see if they've downloaded this very first ebook that we have at the highest point in the funnel, 
we put them into this audience and then we can see did this audience tend to convert for this next step that we had created and if they're not converting for that next step that we created then we have some sort of mismatch on the content that we think that they care about um, versus what they really care about or maybe it's just not the right vehicle for that information things like that and so what i like to do is basically plan out um, i like to use a grid but plan out what those content pieces and what those steps will be to get them the information that they need based upon what we know. And then I build out those audiences. And what I do is I start at the top with kind of more of those um, higher funnel demographic targeting audiences. Um, and then once we see them engaging with our content, then we kind of keep moving them through um, the different pieces of content that we've developed based upon what we know that they've engaged with and what they haven't engaged with yet. And that's going to vary in length depending on your business and how long that sales cycle is. If, if you're selling something that people buy on impulse, you don't need to have a four-step funnel before they get to that purchase okay. process, right? But if you do have a longer sales funnel and you need to kind of warm them through that, then you could push them from one content piece to another. Interesting. Well, let, let me try this one out. Um, let's say I am a business or my business has a longer sales cycle. It does require you to go through this funnel. And uh, I think this is something too, that I feel like people like you, the best paid media people in the, in the world have kind of changed. It used to be, I don't know, maybe let's pick an arbitrary number like five years ago that top of the funnel traffic was money, not well spent. Like don't spend money on top of the funnel, only spend money on, on bottom of the funnel stuff, only get me money. Uh, middle of the funnel was iffy at best. Like, you know, do you agree with that view? But basically there's been this change that people are now more focused on top of the funnel, middle of the funnel paid traffic. And how would you kind of assuage that concern from a business owner who's like, yeah, I just really only want to spend money on bottom of the funnel. I don't want to spend money on the top of the funnel stuff. You know, how, how would you address that concern? Yeah, I definitely have found that there's more of an interest in top and middle of the funnel more recently. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for why. Um, one is I think that the audiences are getting better. Third-party audiences are getting better. Secondly, I also think bidding algorithms are getting better. So if you look at Facebook 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago is probably a stretch. Let's say like six or seven years ago um, versus now, you could spend a ton of money quickly in Facebook and not get much of anything for it. Now, Facebook's bidding algorithm is really, really, really smart. Um, even with some of the, you know, hit that they've taken with iOS 14, their bidding algorithm is still really, really smart. And I would say the same on the Google side as well. Um, so I think people can kind of rest assured maybe a little bit more now than they could before that they'll, they'll see the benefits of that action. I also think people have come around um, kind of a long way from sending people to just request a demo to being comfortable with sending them to um, higher level micro conversions and being able to track the success of those, partially just because Google on the flip side has become so expensive for a lot of advertisers because there's so much competition and bids increase every year right. that people are looking for ways to kind of get different tra uh, traffic or even higher in the funnel. That has helped too. Um, but I would say as far as where to focus in the funnel, it does depend a lot on where your goals are and also what kind of budget you have. So if you just have a, a little budget um, and you don't have a ton of wiggle room on it, 
um, and you're maxing out your budget just by focusing on lower funnel, um, you know, I would say in that case, it probably does make sense to just focus on the lower funnel, especially if you have other activities or your brand is well enough established that you don't really have to continue that brand building. And I caveat that by saying, I'm not suggesting that anybody should ever give up on brand building. I mean, the strongest brands in the world spend millions of dollars on brand building. Um, but realistically, I understand if you need to be really performance driven with your budget. And in that case, it makes sense to do so. But if you are at the point where you're maxing out your budget, or sorry, you're not maxing out your budget, but you are maxing out your lower funnel campaigns and you want to see growth, then it makes sense to go a little bit higher in, in the funnel. Um, or if you are finding that it's just not cost effective to be really, really competitive lower funnel, it could help to test going a little bit higher funnel where leads are a little bit cheaper. You can be established um, in your prospect's mind earlier on before they're at that decision-making point. Um, and that can be a good strategy as well. So it really depends on what your goals are and what your program looks like now and if it's successful or not. If it's successful, maybe you don't need to change it. Although I would um, still definitely encourage people, as we said earlier, to make sure that they're not putting all of their eggs in one basket just because that basket can get shaken up um, really easily. Yeah, we've learned that for sure. All right, so last question about kind of getting this set up. So presumably in 2021, businesses have existing campaigns already for, at least for Google and Facebook. Yeah, how, as you're going through your strategy, how do you view an existing campaign? You know, when you're considering either additional channels to invest in or divest in, or how does the existing campaign that the client have play into this, this approach of yours? Yeah, great question. So I like to categorize things into quadrants. So I like to look at what is working really well as far as cost efficiency goes, whether that is CPL or ROAS or whatever you're using to measure cost efficiency, what's going really well, but doesn't have very much volume that we could potentially support or grow through other channels. What is going really well? Um, and maybe there's actually even room for more volume. We could potentially push more budget in that direction. What is um, not cost efficient but it's driving a lot of volume. So we either need to make it more cost efficient and maintain that volume, um, or we need to find a way to replace that volume, but there's a lot of volume there. So we wanna be careful about not just scrapping it. And then there are the other things that have low volume and low cost efficiency. And in that case, we're typically looking for something to either replace it or potentially if there's some kind of channel that could support it um, and try to improve it a little bit more we could do that, but typically we're kind of looking to replace that. And then also um, with what's working really well, we also wanna be careful that we don't cannibalize that. So an example of that is um, I've come in and audited a campaign before where it was a, um, a CPG product, but there were a lot of repeat purchasers. And so what they were doing was they were remarketing people basically as soon as they purchased um, within a few weeks, they would start remarketing them to purchase again. But what had happened was, if you looked at all of their sales, when they launched remarketing, remarketing looked like it was doing really, really well. But if you looked at total sales, there really wasn't an increase. So what happened was remarketing was now basically taking credit for these sales that they were going to get anyway. 
and it was taking them uh, from the email yeah. program. So instead of, um, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, what I would do is just right. put an exclusion in place or start that audience so that it wouldn't launch until after those initial emails had been sent out. And so basically what we're looking at is when we're building out that campaign, we're looking for what do we want to make sure that we're keeping safe and that we're not cannibalizing, especially since we're talking about paid media here, we want to make sure we're not paying for something that we don't have to pay for. I like it. Well, very good. And I think this is all great, great strategic work. You know, where we're at now, if I'm, if I'm following is we've done a lot of preparatory, preparatory work. Uh, you know, eventually we've got to make some decisions. We got to decide what ads, what kind of ads to run, what channel to use, what sort of language or image and or imagery on those ads. Uh, that sounds pretty complex. How do you take this preparatory work that we did and actually now start where the rubber meets the road, it starts to make some decisions, you know, whether that's what channel we're talking about or what kind of copy or imagery we're using. Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, normally what I would decide next is based upon kind of like the line item of, uh, what are the different kind of content pieces or stages? It doesn't have to be content pieces, but stages do we see in the funnel that we're going to try to support with media outlining that in your Excel sheet. And then um, what you can do is you can build out your landing pages for each of those things, um, whatever it is that you're going to be kind of delivering at each stage. And then what I would do is I would look at that on a persona by persona basis, depending on how many personas that you have and how different they are and making sure that you have ads and landing pages that really speak specifically to those personas. So if there are, you know, two different reasons that somebody would buy the same vehicle, um, you could have completely different kind of ads and content driving them to more information about that specific vehicle, but in a way that spoke to them. So um, like minivans, for instance, some people are looking at minivans because they have a lot of kids um, and or not, maybe not mm. a lot of kids, but because they have kids and those are, um, they can be easy to kind of get in and buckle kids in, in the back and move through and things like that. Um, but another reason that people drive vans sometimes is more of around accessibility and things like that. So um, if you were promoting this particular vehicle that could be a good fit for either one of these audiences, I would have different ads and content speaking to that audience. But again, it goes back to knowing your audience and knowing what they care about. Um, so that's kind of that step in terms of building that out. But then when it comes to determining channels, it's about thinking about where would those be people be getting their information? And if there's a channel that you're thinking maybe they would be there, but you're a little bit hesitant to test the waters, just keep in mind that almost every single channel, every single major platform at least offers remarketing. So if you wanna see um, if your audience is there, you can always start with remarketing and see what you get there. And then you can always test into different targeting from there um, and have a, a really nice, um, visual of, I say nice, but it's basically check marks, um, of what types of targeting are available where. I can share that with you if there's a place that you can kind of link it, but it can be really handy to just look at it and think about if you had the ability to target your audience in any way, just like completely blue skies and you could pick from any of these targeting options, what would be the best way to get in front of your audience? I think sometimes we operate with our blinders on because we know what's most common in Google or what's most common in Facebook. And we focus on those, but there are a lot of really good, 
really great platforms out there with some really interesting um, with some really interesting targeting capabilities that sometimes it's just easy to forget because they fly under the radar. So when it comes to choosing the channels, I really think about where's the audience most likely to be and then what options do I have with that channel? But again, if you're not sure, you're nervous about testing a new channel or allocating much budget to it, just start with remarketing in that channel and see what you get. Awesome. And then this is the last thing. Uh, you've been generous with your time. So you mentioned it on this call too. I learned this from you at, at PubCon, but now I've got to stitch all this stuff together. I've got to look at information about Facebook and Bing and Google and Google Display and Google Remarketing and everything else. Uh, you got to go over to analytics. Logically, I would go over to the to the acquisitions report and look at that information there. You actually recommend evaluating in the audience report. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. You mentioned it here on this call. How, how come? I'm a big proponent of the audience's report. And the reason is because if you look at the acquisition report, it's going to show you last touch information. But if you start getting into the social channels, you start getting into display and YouTube, um, what you're gonna find often is they can convert, they can be the last touch, don't get me wrong. But especially if you're using them for higher funnel or even mid funnel um, purposes, they're not gonna be the last touch and they're always gonna look bad in the acquisition report. But if you build out your audience report, then you can see of people that came through a specific channel or a specific campaign or set of campaigns or people that took a specific action, what actually happens to those folks over time? And not only can you look at the audience's report and look at it as a line item, but you can also then use it as secondary dimensions. You can use it as um, a custom view segment as well. Mm -hmm. There's so much information that you can get from building those out. And I mean, just let your imagination run wild. You can build audiences off of specific channels or you can build them off of the actual, actual micro conversions themselves. I also like to build out just a little dashboard where I can see the performance of that audience over time. Because then if you do anything that changes the composition of that audience, you just wanna make sure that you don't actually accidentally tank it. So let's say that we have an audience that's built off of this very first ebook that we keep you know, using as an example. Um, and then I say, okay, I'm going to actually start sending Twitter to this ebook as well. And so now this audience mm. it has changed, right? Because it, it has this other channel driving toward it. Right. So you can look at this dashboard and you can see, is this audience still converting the way that it was? So in other words, is the fact that it is, that they're taking this particular action, what is important? Or do we see any change once we start sending a different audience to it? As long as they've taken that action and they're in this audience, are they still performing the same? Or do we see things improve or um, you know, go the other way once we add in different audiences? So it just kind of helps um, or once we add in different channels that are powering that audience. Um, so it just kind of helps you to kind of keep a pulse on how things are performing and give you a sense of what is the propensity that people will move lower in the funnel and take activities lower in the funnel and ultimately become a customer if they come from any of these audiences, but these audiences could be based upon any facet of your program that you want to take a look at deeper. That's fascinating stuff. And I, I loved that part of the, of the talk, especially is how you, how you stitch all this stuff together. And uh, overall, Amy, it's been great to talk to you and learn from you. Uh, in the last couple of months, I would encourage people. I want to point people in your direction. What's your 
the best way for people to get in touch with you? What's your favorite social media? I need to, you know, please promote the SEJ column that you have. Yeah. Um, feel free to find me on Twitter. That is by far where I'm most active. So it's um, at Hoffman eight is my Twitter handle. And then I also have um, a column on SEJ. I report on the paid search news. And I also have a newsletter, which is linked in my Twitter bio, if you're interested in that as well. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on. I know we had to schedule this a couple of times. So I appreciate your flexibility. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers for now. And yeah, uh, thank you. we'll cheers. sign off. We'll be been... Cheers. And for everybody else, we'll be back next week for another episode of Sudden Search. <laughs>